1: Oh, welcome to the talking city podcast and happy new year from everyone at the manchester evening news we've had a few weeks off but we are back to discuss all things manchester city in 2024 and since we've been gone a lot has changed notably city are world champions they went to saudi arabia and came back with the club world cup trophy to complete the set of five in 2023 my name's joe Bray and joining me to discuss the saudi arabia trip is someone who was there tyro marshall how are you I'm good, thank you, Joe. I'm good. Happy New Year to you. Weather, nicer here or in Jeddah? Uh,
0: definitely in Jeddah, um, apart from the last night, actually, when I think the moment City lifted the trophy, it started raining, apparently. I was trying to work out exactly whose tears that would be that was raining on City's parade, but, I mean, there's so many options, isn't there? UAE for the Premier League, maybe it was a combination, but if, if they were tears, someone was crying an awful lot, because, yeah, the last night it was... Uh, torrential rain and there was a few nervy moments about making an 8 a.m flight once we'd left the ground at 1 a.m struggled to get back into the city centre roads were flooded but yeah other than that until then it had been 30 degrees and a lovely bit of December sunshine
1: that's the less glamorous side of these troops isn't it those sort of it is mad dashes to the airport yeah them? yeah well it got at first they thought well
0: we might get two hours two and a half hours sleep here before we have to get up and get the plane and in the end it we just lost so much time stuck in traffic and wading through water trying to get back to the hotel that it was literally get back get your bags and didn't didn't sleep until we got on the flight at 8am so so yeah the less glamorous side but it was it was nice to be there and a great a great working experience to see city win that trophy even if it was most definitely not their hardest force of 2023.
1: Well, it's changed the narrative, hasn't it? Because they went into it on the back of the, the draw with Crystal Palace and Pep was fielding questions that they could be 12 points behind Liverpool if, if results went, went against them. And then they go, they keep a couple of clean sheets, which they needed to. They're playing well. De Bruyne's back in training. And now they're back and everything sort of flipped on its head. It was a good week over there, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was. And uh, you, could, you could sense at the time that a lot of players, and Pep was talking about the benefits of the week, together rather than the football, the fact that they were all in, you know, living together, training together, in a hotel together, it's the type of thing you get in pre-season but you don't get an opportunity really within the season to do that normally, um, they had that and I think that was huge for them, there was a lot made of Kyle Walker's captaincy role during that week and, and almost like a social events organiser by the sounds of things, bringing everyone together and it sounds like it had a, a real impact and, and like was say you know that the football wasn't the most challenging over there they they kept two clean sheets I mean the first one was a very easy clean sheet from an obviously had 25 minutes where they were really good after that it was pretty comfortable for City but you know the the confidence from that I think helped them and just the the bonding of that week together and you kind of saw that in a way in the very next game it was it was difficult to know what you were going to get at Everton after that week because like I say, you couldn't read beyond winning that trophy and what it means to to win five in a year to to get the job done as Pep said, you you didn't you couldn't read too much into the actual football. Then they come back and find themselves one 0 down at Everton at half time and you're thinking it's gonna be one win in seven in the league and, you know, it's the, the the gloss is already coming off and, you know, then they produce that second half performance, fight back, win the game and, and you really sense the turning point there. And I think the celebrations at the away end at, at Goodison showed kind of how how big that felt.
1: And I got the impression that those celebrations were also a reflection of the Club World Cup win as well, because it's sort of knocked down, isn't it, in, in England, the, the Club World Cup. It's like, oh, well, you're going to win it because you've won the Champions League. And there's a sense of that, but also I think City really, really wanted to win that. And the players have been talking about it for the start of the season. Guardiola's had his sort of motivational things in the in the training ground to try and remind the players that that is there and they want to win it. Did you get that impression when you were over there, when you were speaking to the players, that they, really, they were putting the league form to one side wanted to win this and were there to win it
0: yeah very much so and you know Pep made the point a couple of times that you had to do something exceptional to get there and, and like we say it, it does tend to be derided over here I mean I can't I can't remember much about when Chelsea were in it a couple of years ago after they'd beaten City but the time before that an English club was there when Liverpool were there they really wanted to win it there was a lot of publicity and there's always publicity around Liverpool but there was a lot of narrative around them at the time of what it meant to them and you remember their fans singing about it for months afterwards, just as City's fans were singing about it at Everton. And you can tell it does mean a lot. And that that title, World Champions, best team in the world, means a lot. Even if it doesn't feel like you, it doesn't feel like the games are achieving that, it's what you've got to do to get there. You've got to win the league, in theory, your top four, but win the Champions League and, and then you get that reward. So, yeah, I think it did mean a lot to the players. And I thought it was insightful. I spoke to Carl Walker in the mix zone at Everton. And he brought up how much pressure they'd been under uh, going into the Club World Cup. And it, it sounded like they had kind of been feeling the pressure maybe the week or the two weeks before it, when they were dropping points that they knew they, were, they had the Club World Cup coming. And like we say, it, 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 it doesn't get a lot of, it doesn't get the credit it deserves maybe over here and in Europe generally. But I remember someone at City saying to me six weeks out from it that within the football departments at City, it was a really big thing and a really big target. And, you know, maybe the players were kind of feeling that pressure going into it. And, and Walker said at Everton that, we, you know, we've done it now, we've finished it, that pressure is off. And you've maybe sensed that from the performances since.
1: I think it helps that. To- the moment they won the treble, they were saying, right, let's do it again. Let's win four. Jack grealish wanted to win the Community Shield because he never won it before. And I think Diaz and Walker were the players who were saying, we were, we were, we're eyeing up that Club World Cup and the Super Cup. They want to win as much as they can and get those records of having everything under the, the collection at one at the same time. And now they want to go and do it again. And I thought that was telling as well. Like, Phil Foden comes out and says, we want to go and win this again in the future and win the treble again. And they're, they're so hungry for more, aren't they? So if you offer them the chance to be world champions, they're not going to pass that up. Then we get Guardiola in the press conference come out afterwards and you messaged us afterwards and said you genuinely thought he was going to quit. It was
0: a moment, yeah, yeah.
1: What was that like and what what did he say? It was. I mean, it
0: was pretty surreal, to be honest. It was more the fact that it was the first question. And it was a foreign journalist who asked the question. It was something generic about the game, and Pep answers it, but then he says, there's something I want to say. Oh, no. Which you're always on edge, and, you know, it's... It, uh, you know, it, it,
1: that's when you perk up, isn't it? Yeah, that's know, kind like, of, it's yeah. kind of back to Pellegrini yeah. when,
0: when, when, he, when he announced it in a press conference, and when, he, when, he, when someone says that, you're like, okay, what's this going to be? And then he started with this, I had the feeling, if we won this, the job was done, it's oh, I think he used the phrase, it's over. After eight years, it's over. We've won everything we could. Then he talks about Enzo Maresca and Arteta, my first captain, Vinny. It was just sort of like, there was a couple of other um, reporters over there from the Manchester patch, sat next to him in the front row. And as this was going on, we both just kind of looked at each other at the same time and it was like, what's happening here? And then he did end it by, now it's Christmas, it's time to write, buy a new book and write a new chapter. But there was, there was a brief moment when he was doing that speech and the fact that he said he wanted to say something that I just thought... Where's he going with this? Is he? I mean, it would have been, you never know with Pep, it would have been ridiculous if it had just said there and then, I'm done. Yeah. But he could have said, I've decided that I'm going at the end of the season or something like that. Uh, but, you know, he he did row back from it. I think it's interesting now where he does go from here, whether he sees the 18 months out. Like I say with Pep, you just don't know. He could see 18 months out and think, I've done nine years, I might as well do 10. But... Listening to the way he spoke, in Jed, a part of me thinks he, he's got to find the motivation now. Once you're speaking like he's speaking, there, saying after eight years it's over, the job is done, you've got to find a new motivation if you know what I mean. Because it's a big thing to have basically said I've worked for eight years for this. And now I've got 18 months left. You know, does he find enough in the second half of this season to to keep going? So I think it's interesting now to see what happens. But there's also, you know, you, you made a great point there. They are this squad are so hungry for trophies. And the, there isn't an easing off after they won the treble. And we, after we'd finished, we did the, the pre-Everton press conference over there. Just to, the three of us that are kind of regulars did it, and it it was the most intimate setting we've ever done. Pep in, you know, famously doesn't do one-on-one interviews, doesn't do small huddles like that. The the press conference theatres at the Etihad and the training campus are these huge things with loads of cameras. This was the three of us and this handheld camera that City were using, and you know it, that that was partly the best bit of the trip in a way to see what he's like in that intimate setting and I asked him it was you know it, he it was asked by Jack at the Daily Mail what what, you, what can you do next basically what is next you just said in there it's it's over what's next That it's like win again and I I asked him how much when he reflected over the new year how much he'd look back on the community shield because it's great to win five but you just know there'll be a part of him thinking we should have won six and he started off the answer saying, no, no, credit to Arsenal. They, you know, equalised in the last minute the penalties. Credit to Arsenal. Fantastic. They deserve it. And then he's like, it would have been nice to win six. I'm greedy. And you just think that's kind of like, as, as much as he's saying what he's saying, and it does, it did set alarm bells off to me that once you're saying that, very much feels like the end is close, I think, when you're saying that. But then he, you know, when he's say, oh, yeah, it would have been nice to win six, it shows the, the hunger there. And I think, you know, how this season develops might have an impact on, on what he wants to do next year and how long he wants to push it. But it shows how desperate they are really to to win absolutely everything.
1: You, you did mention the Community Shield after Sheffield United. Someone just said, how are you going to look back on 2023? He was like, yeah, we won five, but we didn't win.
0: Yeah.
1: We didn't win that one. And uh yes, it's Arsenal and Arsenal are a good side and pushed them all away. But I, I do think that that's in the heads of it as well. Um But no, it was... I think the way that they've come back as well, they've used that as a like you say, they're all together. Is they wanted to use the football cup to improve the league form, and we can see that in the Everton and the Sheffield United performances. It's just a bit more professional and a bit back to the the city that we we're, we're used to. Really, um, any other snippets from Saudi Arabia from Jeddah? Um, you told us it was quite quiet over there in terms of like no one, no one around. Is that right?
0: Yeah, it was. Um, it, it was pretty quiet I mean it was an, in, an interesting place to to see um but yeah from uh yeah it was it was fairly quiet um there was a lot of you know there was a lot of tension on on the, the tournament really in a way because it's kind of the last of its kind and you know that that was kind of an interesting narrative that City were basically the last winners of this Club World Cup I don't think the I don't think this is happening in 2024 because
1: I think there's an intercontinental one. The intercontinental cup it becomes, doesn't it? So well, the Champions League okay. winners go straight to the final, and the other ones right, okay, play off to get there. Right. So yeah. it'd be one
0: game rather than two. Right, okay. But the actual Club World yeah. Cup is obviously becoming this 32-team tournament in 2025. That City are already in, and in a way, you know, it's it, it, it's kind of a weird a weird tournament because, like I say, they, City didn't have to do anything spectacular to go and win it, but that is the last time in a Club World Cup a South American team will ever reach the final. And you could see what it meant to the Fluminese players and fans. You know, it's a, as much as we mock it in Europe, it is massive in South America, the Club World Cup. It's a huge thing to win. But they'll never reach another final. You know, it'll be European finals all the time now. And, you know, I, I did a piece today, the, the final saying in a way it's a shame because in twenty twenty five you can guarantee I think it's twelve European teams. You know, at least six of the last eight are going to be European. If not all eight, it's just going to become another Champions League, and you know you could end up City playing RB Leipzig in the Club World Cup already. You just don't, you just don't need it. So, so yeah, it was. You know, in a way, it's kind of a shame that it's changing, and obviously, it's going to be a nightmare for the fixture calendar. Yeah. There is something I think quite quaint about it in its current format, but it is also incredibly predictable, really.
1: And if we're talking about what's Pep going to do, he's out of contract that summer at the end of the season, and then. I think yeah, okay. two weeks after the end of the season they'll be off to America to play a month worth of football because yeah. you would expect City to go deep in that competition might, certainly, yeah, certainly yeah. get into the knockout Yeah, stages.
0: I think if they win the Champions League it is it is two weeks, yeah. ten, ten days, two weeks, something like that. So that's a good point actually with the contract situation that if he does decide then to walk away give them so little time. And it's not like you're just going to promote, you know, you're not going to promote his assistants. You know, at the moment you're not going to promote Lilo to that role. Um, so there's no one there. If he does go, it's such a seismic thing to City that there's no way within two weeks no. they'll have a succession plan sorted. And there's so much that comes with Guardiola potentially going in terms of Soriano, yeah. Cheeky. You know, it's it's a club that's been built for him. And you wonder if him going will affect you know Soriano and Begueras and what and what they want to do. So so yeah, that. That could be a a badly timed summer in a way for City if it is so busy when they've got such seismic change. But like I say, with with Pep, you just never know what's around the corner, do you?
1: And then they'll have a League Two campaign to prepare for uh, the next season. Uh, We'll leave that first part there. We'll come back to uh, discuss how City played over Christmas and how the rivals have given them a bit of a helping hand.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly.
1: hello welcome back to the talking city podcast we discussed the club world cup uh, and now we're back to the premier league and as we say city could have been 12 points behind now they're five points behind with the game in hand because arsenal have lost two in two liverpool and arsenal shared a draw aston villa have fallen away a little bit and city have put uh, put the world cup form into the league and got two wins out of two everton we've discussed a little bit and sheffield united at the weekend it seems to be coming back, doesn't it, for City? And we've got Kevin De Bruyne warming up. He didn't come on, but just his presence invigorated the stadium. You've got Haaland, Doku, John Stones hopefully coming back in the next month. The next one's going to be easier. It seems to be heading City's way and the rivals have sort of left, let them off the hook a little bit.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Arsenal are going to look back on Christmas as just an absolute disaster, aren't they, to, to lose... West Ham at home and falling away. I think it's the moment that any chance of them winning the title went. Basically, they're gonna they're gonna look back on that at the end of the season and think what what on earth happened over Christmas. Um, and yeah, I mean, we we did say that City after that run of, of one in six or be, before the Palace game, really, that their fixtures were getting yeah. a lot easier. You know, I think New and there was something like Newcastle were the only side in the next in the top half in something like ten league games. And even now, you look at Newcastle in a couple of weeks and you think, well, that's very winnable at the moment, the way, you know, the way they're playing. Um, they look really on, on offer for City, that. So, it's a very, very appetising run of fixtures for City. It's the kind of run you can imagine and putting 10 wins together and, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel like a vintage Liverpool team and if Liverpool are suddenly the only challengers, if City do string 10 wins together, you can imagine them being five or six points clear maybe at the end of that. So, it's a, it's a huge opportunity for them at the moment. Like you said, they've got those players coming back. Perhaps in his press conference the other day about how he's holding De Bruyne back and training with so much energy and how he thinks the break will have been good for him mentally, really, having played so much football. So there's, you know, there's this there's, there's some really positive signs there. And just the sheer number of options there they're going to have, well, we'll probably come on to it, but you know, Foden's form in, in De Bruyne's role has been absolutely sensational. But, there's no way he's going to start ahead of De Bruyne. Um, Alvarez has done really well at centre forward. Foden and Alvarez actually look to link up really well in in that kind of ten and nine role. Um, you've almost got two different, you know, De Bruyne and Haaland and Foden and Alvarez in in those positions. Two totally different options that are still probably first and second in the league for those kind of partnerships. So there is suddenly a lot to be a lot to be positive about and. You know, like you say, they, you mentioned the clean sheets in um, in Saudi Arabia. They probably needed the clean sheet against Sheffield United as as well. Probably a good fixture in a way, just to get that clean sheet. Having conceded against Everton, when in truth they weren't really, you know, they weren't really threatened in that game, but still managed to go and concede a goal and go behind. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's been a, a brilliant Christmas for from City. Even even putting aside the Club World Cup, So what's happened since then. In terms of their rivals' results, has has been brilliant. And like you say, the narrative was. In, in Saudi Arabia, you could tell the players didn't want to talk about the league. Every time there was an attempt to ask them about it, it was like we're focused on mm-hmm. this, and they didn't want to engage in the prospect of Liverpool being twelve points ahead as it could have been, then ten points. They just they didn't want to know. And in the end, obviously, Liverpool and Arsenal drew with each other. Was a perfect result for City really, and they're taking full advantage. And if you'd have said in the Club World Cup, it, it looked like City's grip was was being loosened on the tile, which I think was probably a fair thing to say at that point. Now you'd say the Grip looks pretty strong again.
1: Well, it was out of the hands, wasn't it? In terms of results, now it's back in the hands because they've got a game in hand and they've got to play Liverpool. But it was noticeable against Sheffield United. They went 2-0 up. And you're thinking, right, well, against Palace, they threw it away against Tottenham and against Liverpool. They've conceded these late goals from winning positions. There was never any danger. I think part of that was because Sheffield United are bottom of the league and struggling and probably just accepted that, okay, the game's gone, let's just shut up shot but there was the decisions City were making were just a bit clever a bit more pragmatic they weren't going for another goal he could have brought Kevin De Bruyne on but he just had De Bruyne warming up for 20 minutes and I know he said before the game but I asked him afterwards I said was there any temptation to bring him on he said no he was just there for getting the feeling back in his sort of being in a match day squad and and feeling the crowd but honestly when he warmed up it, it was a noise as loud as the goal about a minute before. I think, did Jurgen Klopp say that the whole world shook when, when De Bruyne warms up or something like that? <laughs> he, he said the league are taking notice yeah. and De Bruyne doesn't even come on the pitch. Yeah. But you have taken the question out of my mouth with what happens in that number 10 role because Haaland and De Bruyne walk back into 9 and 10, don't they? Yeah. But you've got Alvarez who's been playing really, really well. Foden who looks like he's finally cracked that that number 10 position. You can't have them all playing in the best positions now and um, I think Guardiola said he pointed at Foden giving away the penalty against Crystal Palace and he said yeah he made a mistake but look at the four games since and he's learned from it and he's he's a better player for it and hopefully he won't make that mistake again and it seems like he's got that trust that Guardiola has never really had in him in that position in sort of like the tactical and the awareness and the discipline and um, and it's just a shame that it's probably going to end in the next couple of weeks, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it really is. And he has been fantastic in in that role. And the thing is Bernardo's been brilliant yeah. on the left as well. The you know, in the semi-final in, in the Club World Cup when they, they started Foden as the false nine, Pep um sorry, Bernardo was the false nine and Foden on the on the right and then swapped them over. And from then on it's just kind of clicked for for City. And obviously a striker's come in and Foden's dropped dropped back one, but I mean, Foden's been fantastic there. I thought I thought he was sensational at Everton in driving that second-half comeback. Could have had more than the one goal he got. Um, and he has been, you know, he's been superb in that position. and It feels like a breakthrough season for him in terms of playing in midfield. But like we say, within... I mean, it's, you know, January's a funny month, really, because the lack of games. But by the start of February, you'd probably say he's not going to be playing that role because it's going to be back to De Bruyne. And then the question, I guess, is does he go back in on the right or is Bernardo doing so well that he's now undroppable? And, you know, I, I wrote in my piece after Everton saying that he, he, it felt like Foden was now becoming the midfielder Guardiola expected. Yeah. And I said that in last season, and it's happened a lot to Foden, that he does really well in, in, in seasons, in large spells at times. But when it comes to the end of season, when things are on the line, he's often on the bench. And it happened last season, you know, when when it got to the the crunch of last season at the back end of last season he wasn't in City's best 11 you know he wasn't playing those Champions League games wasn't playing the final wasn't playing the big Premier League games wasn't playing the FA Cup final these were these were big big games that he just wasn't in that best 11 for and you know I I, I said after the Everson game in that piece that that won't be the case this season but in a way you know like oh I wouldn't want to say that for certain because we know how much Pep values Bernardo so you either If he he values, if he gets to the point where City are playing Real Madrid again in Champions League semis and quarters and Bayern Munich and in huge title race games with Liverpool and Arsenal down the stretch, then does he play Bernardo on the right? Will he pull Bernardo back to midfield and and play Rodri and Bernardo and get Foden in on the right? It would feel incredibly unfair on Foden that if it got to the points again of sort of late March, April, May, and he's back as being a substitute, no, and that would feel really harsh on I mean, him when it feels like he's taking a step forward this season and you know, Kyle Walker said it in the mix so after Everton um, that it, the whole squad can feel that he is he has improved this season he has taken a step forward so it feels like the reward to that should be a role in those big big games but like you say when it, when everyone's fit we, we, we make a lot about this being a small squad but when everyone's fit especially in those attacking areas all of a sudden there is Incredible competition for places, and if you're including Bernardo as a right winger, you know, say you're not, say suddenly you're not going to play him next to Rodri, which you might end up doing. But if you played Rodri and Kovacic, say, you know, you're looking at Doku, Grealish on one wing and Bernardo Foden on the other, and then De Bruyne or Alvarez behind, um, Haaland It's it's incredible options when everyone's fit for a pretty small squad. Um, but I, you know, I think Foden deserves, even if it means going back to the wing. It feels like he's made enough of an impact this season to deserve to be in the team when it, when it really matters at the end of the season.
1: I can see they've played the formation with Kyle Walker providing the width on the right a lot this season. And whether that's Bernardo coming inside, which he has done recently, or Bernardo staying right, or Foden's done the same as well. And that sort of eased him into the number 10 role, didn't it, to, to give him another player there next to him. I can see that happening with Foden. And you move Bernardo back into midfield and have a midfield of Rodri, Bernardo, and De Bruyne, mm-hmm. Foden on the right coming inside. Coming yeah. But if you play in Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, all of these teams, Arsenal, you're gonna need Kyle Walker back. Yeah. Because you can't afford to give give that space. So then, what like Foden is out on the on the wing and he's not playing in the centre, and all of these scenarios don't have Julian Alvarez in them, for example, and he's played so well recently. Then there isn't a, a a solution, and you can put Bernardo back in midfield, but then Kovacic is getting sort of better and better, and his experience could be invaluable in in the running. What do you do with him? It's there's not a solution really, and you're leaving all this conversation is leaving out the left wing, which is as you say, Grealish and, and Doku, which are two completely opposite players, and Grealish has sort of reclaimed his place with Doku's absence, but. Doc who's a crowd-pleaser and he can win your games. And it feels like there's going to be a, maybe a system for the bigger sort of knockout games and title-defining games and maybe one for the other game in the week where yeah. they need to rotate players. And That's kind of
0: how it always ends up being at the end of seasons under Guardiola, doesn't it? That he has that team. You know, it's almost always the same team that will start both legs of the quarterfinal in the Champions League, both legs of the semi, starts the cup final, starts the title deciders. And then there's a, a game somewhere else where he'll make loads of changes. But you know, for those big Champions League nights, those big league league games, you know what the eleven will be. And it is, like you say, it's just a case of, of who's in it. And then, you know, the, the other points about playing that, that system with, with Walker providing the width and Foden coming in is that when you've got De Bruyne in the middle, he kind of likes that space that you're then putting Foden into, doesn't he? He likes that kind of inside right space, whipping those crosses into Haaland. You know, it feels, just imagine it in your head, it feels like you'd almost have Foden and De Bruyne in exactly the same positions in a way. They'd both want those kind of half spaces just kind of inside from the right wing. So
1: You imagine them both lining up a shot from number 10. It's the same position, the same it? positions, yeah. yeah.
0: And you can imagine, you know, Foden looking to, to whip that shot in. Uh, De Bruyne playing that kind of whipped cross across that Haaland loves capitalising on. And so, you know, I, tactically, I don't know whether that would work. Pep's probably got a good idea whether it will or not. Um, but like I say, if everyone's fit, there's some really difficult decisions there for when it gets to that kind of march point onwards, which is when he usually settles on that team. And the interesting thing is, he's settled normally on a team that provides control. Whereas this season, it's you know control has been way down the list of priorities, is not it? He's,
1: I think that's why Bernardo always ends up on the right. Because exactly he, this. he can just lock down that position, yeah, can't he? Yeah. So it's whether Pep wants to
0: keep kind of embracing the chaos as... He has done a bit this season, or whether it gets to the first, you know, the, say the Champions League quarterfinal. They draw, they draw someone big there. Say they draw Real Madrid. Does he stick with Foden and Doku say on the wings, or is it back to Bernardo and Grealish and having had kind of chaos for half a season, go for the run in with? Back to control. I think it's gonna be really interesting to see I how think it goes about that.
1: This yeah. month is gonna be key for that because, yeah, like you say, they've got three fixtures. Four. if they get to the FA Cup fourth round, which they should do. They're probably gonna go to Abu Dhabi for a couple of weeks in, in that winter break, and if they benefited from that in Saudi Arabia, all being together, then that would that could really help them to sort of lock down that tactics. And one thing Pep said when he was sort of analysing Foden's role. Is he said he like he mentioned David Silva, he mentioned Gundogan in sort of being in those small spaces in number ten, and maybe Alvarez can do that. I'm not sure De Bruyne can. Maybe Foden has that that ability. That's how he's going to do it. Another thing I would say is maybe could De Bruyne go deeper if he's if he's had this injury and he doesn't want to do as much. Maybe he'll be with. I don't know. You see players come back from injury and they don't always return the same player, do they? And De Bruyne likes to do those big long bursting runs, but he's ended up with half a season out because he's broken his hamstrings. So yeah. could he sort of start his regression back into sort of a holding sort of central midfielder role, number eight rather than number 10? And that opens up space for Foden, I don't know. But I think it's it's not going to be the most interesting month in January for lots of games and being tests. But I think it's going to be interesting to see where players play as well. Do.
0: Yeah, well, we've always considered, like I said, there's, there's a lot of flexibility within that team at the time, like Foden. We mentioned Bernardo can can play left back but can play on the right can play kind of as a holding midfielder next to Rodri but De Bruyne you just imagine him in that one position don't you now he doesn't play anywhere else but that one position obviously the same with Haaland so it does you know if De Bruyne comes back in unless Pep does suddenly see him as, as dropping deeper um, but then you're missing so much
1: aren't you those
0: yeah, everything you we just spoken
1: about De Bruyne those balls into those the, balls the box, into the the box. Ones,
0: you're just not going to get them. No. are you so it does does feel like if he's in the team he's kind of locked into that position isn't he? he's locked into that kind of number 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 eight to number ten position um, and then you, you build around that I guess but it does mean that someone is probably going to be disappointed I don't know I mean if I if everyone was fit and I was looking at a team for a Champions League semi-final now say I think I'd probably want Foden on the right and Bernardo next to Rodri um, like I say I mean Kovacic Kovacic I guess is then a good option off the bench to bring a bit of control on, but I think that's probably what I'd go for at the moment. I
1: and mean, then you've got Alvarez, he's got two in a Club World Cup final. I know, yeah. Every, two, every medal under so the there's in, no easy option, in, is no. there?
0: No, in a way, the De Bruyne injury, I think has been a really good thing for Alvarez, yeah. because it is kind of going to be a problem at some point that he is behind Haaland and he's going to stay behind Haaland and, you know, we, mm. we don't really know what Haaland's long-term situation is is going to be at City I don't think it's any secret that he's kind of got this career map out of wanting to play for big clubs elsewhere as well. I I don't think anyone visits him has been at City until he's in his 30s, for example. Um, But if he stays another five years, that's still probably too long for Alvarez, really, because, like I say, he's a World Cup winner, looks a phenomenal striker. Um, So in a way, I think it's been beneficial that he's got this run of games to keep him happy, in a way. And I'm sure it's great winning trophies, but it is it is one of those kind of situations where if De Bruyne, is, De Bruyne and Foden suddenly take that role and it's just Haaland and Alvarez in attack, Alvarez gets a lot less games there and there's a chance at some point that he might kind of decide he wants he wants more than being Haaland's understudy because the problem with being Haaland's understudy it's like Tottenham always struggling to find a backup for Kane that you just know you're not you're not gonna get in a team ahead of him. It's just as good as Alvarez is, he ain't gonna get in a team ahead of Haaland. And he's Harland.
1: played so well and looked like a natural city striker, but yeah. Haaland's yeah. coming back. Yeah, by February. Haaland will start. To be I wrote a piece the other day I was like, how does City line up when everyone comes back? And my conclusion basically was I don't really know. And yeah. Pep's probably got another idea up his sleeve and yeah. I think we've just summed that up quite nicely in that there's so many options and no no real solutions. Uh, we'll come back after a short break and uh, Round up all the things that we meant to talk about earlier before we got off on a tangent about uh, how City lined up at number 10. Hello, welcome back to the Talking City podcast. Uh, Final part here. We were going to talk about transfers and Huddersfield. We're getting, I think we're going to have another podcast on Friday where we can touch on that a bit further. But given that this is our first podcast in 2024, any highlights from a ridiculous 2023 for following City? I mean, there's got to be a lot of them, hasn't there? <laughs> what, a, what a year! Those those five
0: trophies. Um, I mean, a lot of the, the, you know, the Champions League final will obviously live long in the memory. Not for the game, really. It was a you know a really it, it was a, a long, if you're listing City's best performances, it's a long way towards the bottom that it was not a good performance. And but in a way, it was, It was as a game, it's probably the top of the list for me in terms of a game where you can actually feel the tension yeah. in the stands. Because sometimes you watch a game and you think, oh, they're a bit nervous. But if, like I would say about five minutes before Rodri scored, I think I remember writing in, in my piece or on our blog or somewhere, that you could you could feel the tension transmitting to everyone around the place. You there. could feel it on the TVs. So yeah. what did it it like in the stage? Exactly. No, no, no. You could just feel how nervous City were. It was getting worse for them because they knew they weren't playing well. Mm-hmm. Inter were looking a threat on the break, and the longer it went on, you just thought you, you could really like. It's just a strange feeling that you, even though you know, obviously we work the Manchester Evening News, we're covering City trying to go for trouble. We want them to win. It's easy for us if they win. But you could just, even from that position, you could just sense how nervous they were and it was making you nervous. And yeah. You could just, you could feel the tension within a stadium. I've never felt tension like that in a stadium. Um, and then just kind of exploded when Rodri scored. They obviously, even after that, they were hanging on a bit. Yeah. But At least they had something to hang on to. But it, it, you know, it felt at that point that such a, you know, Easily City's biggest goal of the season, probably because it was at that point where you just thought they are losing control of this, they it's in their heads. And Roger wasn't having a good game, Roger wasn't having a good game. That it was just it it was right at the point where you thought this is going wrong, this is this is really going to go wrong, and then they they scored the goal. So it was a a great occasion to cover and to kind of sense that feeling that the other champions, I mean, the. The the top game has got to be Real Madrid. You'd think what they did to Real Madrid in that semi final. that will live long in the memories. A performance and just the total total domination and that first half display was just absolutely.
1: And Ali Bernardo again off the right, wasn't it? He Do, was doing his thing. Doing it,
0: yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's what he brings, isn't yeah. it? Uh, and I guess it's an interesting. to I mean, if you had Foden in that position, would would City have have done that? Because what they did, they just sustained attacks really in that game. You know, I, I mean I've forgotten some of the stats now but you can remember some of the stats about the the possession of just Real Madrid's lack of touches and threat in the final third and that was because City just played the game constantly in that final third and that's kind of what Bernardo brings you, you can sustain attacks when he's keeping possession so um, so yeah I think that'd probably have to be the best game
1: I think Arsenal at home was not on a par with Real Madrid but in terms of Keeping the momentum going in City's way in the title race and De Bruyne running the length of the pitch and just passing it into the corner from 30 yards yeah. and that was another one where it, it was meant to be a tight game, it was meant to be a sort of really tense affair but City just ran away with it and yeah. it, it was then you knew that they were going to win the title because then Arsenal were the closest challengers weren't they and yeah. it was just that sort of like they, they took the game and was like no we're winning this, we're, this is our title. And you, it was that momentum that they had. I thought you could feel it. And yeah, when De Bruyne runs through the pitch and yeah. that's De Bruyne at his best. And then it turns out he's had a broken hamstring for 2 months, and he's, he's done that with with a hamstring that isn't working. It's it's just ridiculous. Well, that was the point
0: where, I mean, they, you know, they didn't lose at home in 2023, but that was the point where they were just blowing everyone away. Just everyone was getting hammered. You know, Arsenal, Bayern, Leipzig, Real Madrid. And think back to the Liverpool game and... You there was a, a poor Liverpool team compared to what City have played against previously, but they took the lead in that game. And yeah, you still thought City are going to win this easily. Like City have got their number here. It was a goal well against the run of play. And even though it felt like it should then be set up for what Liverpool want to do to City, you just sensed at that point that City were so good and Liverpool is not not anywhere near their best that they were still going to come back and steamroll them. And they did. And You know, they just, at that at that. That few months at the Etihad, they were just blowing teams away at home. Teams could not live with them.
1: And obviously the FA Cup final as well. I think at the start of the game, I probably said this, I'm normally writing right, who's playing where and getting all my stuff set up. And then you look up and Gundogan's followed it in the back of the net. I think that's a goal that I will never, ever forget. Not only because it was just 12 seconds in and it was a great goal, but just the occasion and the disbelief on one side of all the City fans and the absolute disbelief from the United fans at the other end. It was just... It was just ridiculous and, yeah, United got back into it, but, yeah, that, that, run, that run of games and performances from Gundogan where he made it so clear that City had told him a better contract, but yeah. well, then they left it too late, but he sort of stood up and said, no, I'm going to not only captain this side to what they went on to do, but I'm going to lead them by example as well. Uh, his goal at Everton was... Really good. It was it was annoying the way the press boxes are different to the cameras, so we were just thinking, Oh, how's that gone in? And then we look at the, the replay, we're like, Wow, that is a fantastic goal. But again, that's a game where City are meant to struggle, aren't they, against Everton who are struggling themselves and fighting for their lives and they just they just did everything and Howland's scoring a record amount of goals. It's I think if you said at the start of twenty twenty three what would happen, I don't think any City fan would believe you.
0: No, no. Well I mean it's in the same year as the Happy Flowers and yeah. You know, you, you look back to kind of where they were in, in February and
1: if you told me it, sitting at Southampton away when they were absolutely dreadful in the Carabao Cup. Car,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean the, the turnaround was incredible, really. Um and it, you know, it it kind of proved a new a new string to their bow in away that they did chase Arsenal down. We've we've been used to them. They've produced these amazing winning runs to hold off Liverpool a couple of times and they've won from the front, but they've won as, as chasers now. And I do think I was going to ask Pep this before the, I think before the Sheffield United game, but we've gone to other things in the press conference. And I do wonder if what they did last season in terms of chasing Arsenal down has kind of brought a calmness to them this season that, you know, they come off from Saudi Arabia and they're fifth in the league, but they know they've won as a chase, as a team doing the chasing now, and they know what it takes. And that I think that probably brings a calmness to them that we've kind of seen since then, especially at Everton when, they were one nil down and it felt like they were really under pressure going into that second half at, at Goodison, but they've kind of been there and done it now, so I think that, that has probably brought a calmness to them.
1: Well, I was, I was looking at Christmas, I was like, when was the last time they were this far behind? I think they were six points behind uh, Christmas and fifth. Two years ago, they were eight points behind an eighth because, uh, you know, Liverpool were doing so well and City were just off it for a while and then they put together that run, so they've chased down Liverpool, they've chased down Arsenal. Yeah. Those are the two teams that are probably... The only teams who are going to stop them in the title race this season, and just knowing that they can chase down those those two sides and those two squads will also think, oh no, City City are coming, yeah, that and Liverpool is ahead. The five points ahead, and they're still talking like the second best in the title race because they just know City are going to come. So I think it's going to be a. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but I think it's going to be a, a big 2024. 20, can can they top five five titles? <laughs> Uh, be hard pressed to um i suppose the only way they can is the is doing the treble again and the community shield yeah
0: it. i mean i think if they did the treble again it, it, it three would top 5 i think if they did the treble again just purely because you know that would be just an outrageous achievement to to do back to back trebles um they're considering it's only been done twice in history in england to do it back to back would be phenomenal it's certainly a possibility i mean i think you know, they're one of three teams that can win the Premier League. You'd make them favourites for the Premier League at the moment for sure. They're probably one of only three or four teams that can win the Champions League. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be astonished if they're not favourites for the FA Cup. Obviously, there's a little bit of the draw there, but one of Liverpool and Arsenal are going to go out this weekend. So, you know, it's very early in... You know, if we, if we turn up on Friday and ask Pep about the trouble, we can imagine the look on his face and the scorn we're going to get. I don't think anyone will be doing that, knowing, knowing what Pep is like when those questions are raised. But it would be no surprise if we got to March or April and it was it was on again for City.
1: Well, I definitely won't be asking that because I asked him about the quadruple at Newcastle and got a, got a, very much an answer full of disdain and yes. disbelief. Um, mm. FA Cup coming up this weekend. We'll talk about it more on our Friday pod. Huddersfield at home is probably one of the better ties that City can ask for. It's not away at a lower league ground, it's where City are unbeaten in 13 months against a team who they know how to beat from the Premier League days. They're struggling in the Championship, Pep can make as many changes as he wants. It, it's up to City how they approach it and how they win it, really, or is that... Too too easy to say in the FA Cup.
0: No, I think it's given City's home yeah. record and what we've what we've seen them do against lower league teams. I think you know it would be one of even though they're in the, in the Championship, mm-hmm. it'd still be one of the biggest shocks in FA Cup history yes. if City didn't win <laughs> that game. They're just you know they're they're ruthless in these fixtures. So you know I, I don't think anyone really can see anything but a fairly comfortable City win. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost impossible to make a case for anything aside from that. It's it.
1: I think it'll depend on how many changes he makes you can see obviously Ortega will start because he always does you can see Sergio Gomez Rico Lewis um, I could see Michael Hamilton getting a start I think Oscar Bob was brilliant when he came on and that ball for Foden to set up the important second goal was it just showed that Guardiola coaching that he's had for years and years in the academy and he's I think Guardiola said he was really tempted to start him against Sheffield United so you would he would surely start him against Huddersfield and the only other one you would say would come in is Calvin Phillips, but my question is if he's seeming like he's going to go, and there are options in in the Premier League do you cup tie him, even though this is a game where he sh- he should surely play and give Rodri a rest.
0: Yeah, I I think I I wouldn't play him. I mean, not not just for the cup tie element, but the risk of injury. You know, if he gets a six week injury or something, then you you probably end in the chances of a loan and. There is just no point in him being around the place. Anymore. But if he doesn't play, it's
1: just another nail in the coffin, isn't it?
0: It is. But I think, you know, I think there's enough nails in that coffin already. That he's, he's never getting out of it at City. Um, you know, I don't think not playing him now will prove anything. And I think he will know the score. His agent will be keeping him informed of what's happening. And I think Pep will probably just say to him, "Look, you, you're going to move this month. There's no point risking injury, especially when Phillips will know he's moving to make sure of his place in the Euros." He he doesn't want to risk playing against uh what is for him is a pointless game against Huddersfield, what for city is should be an absolute cruise against Huddersfield. i just i don't i don't think it's worth the risk really for either party of picking up an injury or something like that and and scuppering the chances of a loan so i would uh, i would not play him and look for another solution like I say it would make sense to rest Rodri. Yeah. maybe you play kovacic uh,
1: kovacic in the yeah, yeah. yeah. And it could be one last chance for Foden and Alvarez to say, "Listen, play me in this, well, in
0: this that's position." It. Yeah, yeah. With with, I mean, it, I would guess De Bruyne will be on the bench and get some game time this time, whether it's twenty minutes, half an hour, something like that. So, I think starting Foden and Alvarez, given you've got De Bruyne and Harlan coming back, makes makes a lot of sense. I
1: don't think he said Doku will be back, or again, he's one of them there with the managing, so I can't see him coming from yeah. So many weeks out to yeah, to start it. But, I think he last played, wasn't it? He, yeah. And he's kind of gone under the radar with all the questions about
0: Fode, uh, about Haaland and De Bruyne's fitness. We kind of get lesser updates about Doku.
1: Guardiola did mention that. and So I, yeah. I think I asked him about De Bruyne and then he said, oh yeah, we've got John and Jeremy coming back. And yeah. the next question was actually, how is Jeremy? And Jeremy and Guardiola said, thank, thank you. Someone's asked, you know, yeah. it's always about Kevin and Erling, but it's never about Jeremy. Yeah, so,
0: yeah. it's very noticeable yeah. about that. Even when you mention all three, it's kind of like the two you mainly mentioned mostly are Kevin and, and Erling, how are Kevin and Erling and, and, and Jeremy? Or how are all the injuries with Kevin and Erling? So, so yeah, he has kind of flown under the radar his his fitness situation,
1: and maybe some academy players as well. We've uh, we've seen who uh, who played or featured in the in the Club World Cup as well. We'll talk about all that on Friday. Thanks for joining me, Ty. Uh, happy New Year again to everyone, and uh, yeah, we'll be back on Friday to discuss Huddersfield and probably a few transfer stories and what City are planning to do in the January transfer window. Thanks for joining us. Give us a follow as you always do on uh, any social media platform that you will expect to find us. And we'll be back soon.